0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O just and merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for the blessing of your Word, which seeks to be able to teach and instruct us what we are to believe concerning who you are, but also what duties you require of us. Lord, as we look out and see others and even ourselves at some times, to be able to see how they walk in the way of the wicked, they forsake your law, but we pray that your word would be a light unto our feet, that it would guide us, that it would be our songs in our house, in our years of sojourning in this barren wasteland of this earth. Lord, as we remember your name in the darkest of nights, as we seek to be able to keep your law, Lord, that we would see that this is a blessing that has been given to us, that we would seek to be able to glorify you in all that we do and say. We give you thanks and praise through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Jude 17 to 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God. Our Savior through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Be glory. Majesty. Dominion and authority before all time. And now and forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The Reformation was uh, quite a critical turning point in uh, understanding the doctrines presented in the Bible, that the church for some time was going adrift and They came up with many different uh, theologies that led to different paths and different outcomes. But one of the key parts of the Reformation was not just about the, the doctrine merely they taught, but how that doctrine affects the lives of those who believe what the Bible teaches. That One of the key things of the Reformation came down to what they call the five solas, that they began with sola scriptura. They said, the the Bible alone is where we get our theology from. Not what the church has believed through traditions handed down by men, but only by the Bible. Our foundation of what we believe is found in the Bible. And and from this, the the great Reformed theologians sought to be able to unpack the Bible and found out things and, and taught things like sola fide, by faith alone not by works, but by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Nothing that you can do of yourself, but it's a free gift of grace given to you by the Lord Jesus. Sola soli Christus, That is by Christ alone, not Christ's works plus our works, but by Christ and His works alone. Now, all of these things are, are doctrinal truths, but if you believe all these, then you, you, you end up believing the fifth point of the solas. And that's sola deo gloria. Glory to God alone. See, if you, you add any or change any of the other solas, well, it's, it's the word plus church tradition. Then what you end up is that not all glory goes to God. Because what it is, is God's word plus the church. Some glory needs to go to the church, or through faith, or through grace, or through Christ. Then the glory doesn't end up going to God. If if some of it, even just a a small slither of our salvation, is accomplished through works that we do, then surely in a just world, then even if it is 99% of God and 1% of us, then we deserve 1% of the glory. But the foundation of the Reformation was not merely about what it taught, but the effects on the lives of those who believe what it taught. And that is that, that truth of soli deo gloria. And Jude finishes his book, this short little letter, with this glorious comforting passage where he had begun. He's writing to the church and he says in verse 1, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. then he goes on and and speaks about what has crept into this church, this false teaching that she, she seeks to be able to take away. But he ends in the last two verses reminding them of whose church it is. That it's not the false teacher's church, it's Christ's church. It's Christ's bride. It is Christ who is keeping his people to be able to present them blameless with his glory, with great joy. And Jude, as he continues this doxology or benediction, we need to be reminded that this is not a somewhat encouraging letter. That the church had been distracted This false teaching had crept in. They're they're even unaware this false teaching has crept in. They're perverting the grace of God into sensuality. They're denying the Lord and Master Jesus Christ, and they seem to be unaware of all of this. But yet Jude reminds them of the outcome of this glorious doctrine, of their hope and their purpose of this true gospel which has been delivered to all the saints. The last verse in Jude helps us to see who gets all the glory. As the Reformers would put it, soli Deo gloria, glory to God alone. And in this one verse, I think Jude summarizes this, this doctrine in this one verse that is found throughout all of the Scriptures. So what does Jude teach us? In this verse, it begins to the only God. Jude explains that Jesus Christ will present his people blameless with great joy to the only God. Fundamental truth that is made clear throughout the whole Bible is God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4, known as Shema, because the first Hebrew word there here is Shema, and people, a good Jewish believer, would recite this morning and evening every day. Hear, O, Lord, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is an important truth that impacts how we worship. Doctrines affect what we do. And it affects what, who we worship and our worship of God. If God was not one but was many polytheism polytheism, then to whom would the glory go? You would need to divide your worship up accordingly and appropriately between them. But Isaiah writes, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. The Ten Commandments begin with a foundation of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. The glory is due to God and to Him alone because He is the only God. It is like many other doctrines that we know it to be true if we were to be asked anywhere is there more than one true God? Of course, our response would be no, there is only one true God. However, like any doctrine, That doctrine needs to have an impact on your life. James writes in chapter 2, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you a foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? He explains if you were to go up to a demon and ask them, is there more than one true living God? The demons would even say, give you the right answer to that catechism question. They would even do so shuddering, shaking in their boots. However, the issue with the demons is not that they don't know the doctrinal truth, it's that they don't apply that doctrinal truth to their lives. It does not lead to that good works that stem from that faith, that true faith. And in this passage in Jude, Jude is referring particularly to the person of the Trinity, God the Father. As we see in verse 1, beloved in God the Father. Now does this then change our understanding of glory to God alone? No. Because God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. All glory is to be given to God, the three in one, the triune persons of the Trinity. Now, interestingly, then Jude says, our Savior. Now, we often think of Jesus as our Savior. But Jude is not speaking here of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, because he says, our Savior through Jesus Christ. Jews says that God the Father is our Savior. Now this might seem like a foreign concept to us, but it's not a foreign concept in the Bible. Paul begins his epistle to Timothy saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He does this throughout many of his epistles, 1 Timothy, Titus, now often what we do is we think of God, as our fa- the, God the Father as creator, God the Son as redeemer, God the Holy Spirit as the helper. Now this is true and biblical and often it's true in our understanding of focus and emphasis. But we need to understand that then God is not tritheistic, that he's not merely three gods, polytheism or tritheism, He's not three separate gods, but he's triune. He's three in one. God is one, so every person of the Godhead is God. Now this might start to get over our heads, but I think it's quite important for us to understand that when we're talking about glory to God alone, all glory goes to God because God deserves all the glory. And when we talk about his works, there's the works of providence and the works of creation, then all three persons of the Godhead carry out those works. This is what's known as the doctrine of inseparable operations. That it's not that the Holy Spirit goes over here and just does what He wants over here, the Son does what He wants here, and the God the Father does what He wants here. That would be tritheism, that the the, the three gods doing three separate things. That all, the God God as one through three persons. That's where we get inseparable. You can't have these different operations; they're all combined. And God's divine activity cannot be divided because God is simple and has no parts. There's a whole other rabbit trail we could go down. Augustine put it this way, he says that God works indivisibly. So every person of the Godhead is creator. The Bible begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now in the creed we say... The Father is the maker of heaven and earth. But through the Son, all things were made. And the Spirit is the giver of life. So we see in creation that God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all have their, um, all work in creation. So too in our redemption and salvation. As we saw last week in John chapter 6, The Father is the one who gives those whom He has uh, set His seal upon to the Son, and the Son does not let them depart. The The Father watches them and keeps them. And for this to be able to happen, we must be born of the Spirit. So you see, even in our salvation, we have the work of the triune God, sealed and given by God the Father to God the Son, applied to us by God the Holy Spirit. This is why we say all glory goes to God because it's God's work in us through Father, Son, and Spirit. And Judy explains here that Jesus Christ presents us blameless before God the Father who's our Savior through Christ Jesus our Lord. John Knox explains this beautifully where he says God has given us Christ. His only Son is a mediator between Himself and us, and through Him we may have access to God and all His blessings. All glory and honor, power and majesty belong to God alone, and we should acknowledge and praise Him for all that He has done for us. But also what Jude is explaining here in this doctrine is the truth which has been missed by all the false teachers. The false teaching said that they denied Jesus as Christ, Jesus as Master and Lord. But with this denial comes consequences of their doctrine. The, the false teaching which they tried to explain in verse 4 does not lead to the comfort found in verse 24 and 25. If Christ is not our Master and our Lord, then we don't have that promise of being kept by Him. We are not His. There is no comfort in life and death because we belong to ourselves. But if our comfort in life and death is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, then we belong not to ourselves, but belong to Him, the One who has purchased us, who has set us free we then get the comfort knowing Christ is the one that keeps us, who will present us blameless. But we see that this doctrine then leads to the glory being given to God. As Jude then shows forth this, what happens in the false teaching. And the false teaching that centers around themselves, around their dreams, about what they do. Who gets the glory in that false teaching? Well, it's the false teachers. They seek to be able to elevate themselves. However, once you understand that there is one true God, and all worship and adoration is to be given to Him and Him alone, that He explains that, Glory, majesty, dominion, authority belong to God and God alone. It begins by saying, be glory. The true doctrine then drives us to true worship. Paul says in Romans 11, verse 33 and 36, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment, how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? From, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And false teaching seeks to be able to distort, dismiss, diminish God and who he is. To be able to seek to elevate man and put man at the center. And especially man's sinful desires right in the middle. But Jews says true doctrine, the the faith that had been handed down towards the saints, leads to true worship. These false teachers, they crept in and they denied God's grace. And they said it's not Grace. What you call grace is actually a license to sin, to continue to walk in your ways. What once seeks to be able to reject God and His authority, sin. They say that's how you worship God, through your sin and your actions. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If God has set you free, then you live a life seeking to pursue this righteousness. Showing mercy to others as you have received mercy. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And when we read the Bible and seek to be able to study who God is, His existence, His attributes, all we can do is to be brought to our knees. Like a child standing on the seashore with a tiny bucket thinking he might stand there and collect the whole ocean, trying to be able to understand and comprehend who God is. Or walking around with a tiny little thumb drive and thinking you're going to plug it into the internet and download all of its contents with some tiny DSL connection. The God of the Bible is much bigger than any of us would ever dream or imagine. The God of the Bible is incomparable for us to be able to consider. Unsearchable His judgment, inscrutable in His ways. And once you start to read the Bible and understand the Bible, you see how godly men and women respond to the God of the Bible. When Isaiah stands in the presence and the cherubim cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He does not sit down and go, I'm not too bad. He falls to his knees and says, Woe is me. Worship. Glory to God. In adoration and giving Him Glory alone. Jude does not stop there by merely just saying glory is His. He says majesty is His. The majesty belongs to God alone. Now this can be a bit of a foreign word for us today, mainly in America. There's no person that holds a title like this. His or her majesty, no royal highness. This word stems from Latin. Latin. Majestus, which is used in ancient Rome of those who have a high ruling office with great power and authority. Over time, this became used of monarchs, royalty. So when they came to be able to translate this word into English, there was an obvious choice. God is all-powerful. He is indeed great. And we praise Him for His greatness, as the psalmist put it. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Or in Psalm 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Now when we often think about God's greatness, this word here, majesty, might be translated Greatness. We think often of of his great deeds he has done. Rightly so, when we sing How Great Thou Art, we sing of what he has done for us. When we look at all creation, the the lofty mountain grandeur. But it's not only about what God has done, is great, but who he is, he is great. He is the greatest, for there is no one else greater than he is. is great in everything that he does, then is great. All glory is due to him and him alone because he is great. Bavinck said, the greatness of God is not something that we can fully comprehend by human beings. But it can be apprehended by faith. Again, we cannot seek to be able to understand the greatness and grandeur of God with our small, finite minds, but yet even with our small, finite minds, we can understand how great God is. And this greatness belongs to God and God alone. Jude does not stop there. Glory belongs to God. Majesty belongs to God. Dominion belongs to God. He is the Almighty. He is the greatest the most powerful. Now it seems in these last two words that Judas speaking of the same thing. Dominion and authority? The truth of the matter is that when we start to even seek to be able to understand the attributes of God we're we're somewhat separating them. To be able to talk about God's holiness over here and his, his justice over here, His greatness over here, His goodness over here, His mercy, all of these things, to be able to divide them. There, there is no sense in which God can be divided. There is no parts within Him. That in all of these things, His, his mercy is filled with goodness and greatness and, and, and mercy and graciousness. That His dominion His authority cannot be divided. His power. But there are some slight differences between when you're talking about dominion and authority. Dominion really speaks of the realm in which the ruler rules and has the right to be able to rule. And the realm which God rules over all is all. Everything. Everything. Even our call to worship this morning, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Well, who belongs to the Lord? What realm is His? Well, Psalm 24 says, the earth and the fullness thereof, the world and the people who dwell within it. Whereas the psalmist puts it in Psalm 103, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. The God's dominion knows no bounds because he is the maker of it all. So again, why is glory due to God alone? What realm is ours? Well, God rules over all. Therefore, all glory goes to him. And finally, he says, authority belongs to God. Whereas dominion might speak of the realm, authority speaks of the exercise of the power. Within that realm, authority deals with the power being implemented on the subjects of that realm. You might have a a realm to be able to rule, but you don't rule well in that realm. In theological terms, you might say dominion speaks of his sovereignty and the authority speaks of his providence. God is sovereign over all things, and he shows he is sovereign through the works of providence that all authority comes from God and God alone. He is the source of power, as Paul unpacks in Romans 13. He speaks of all the the governments that have been placed there, and he said none of them get their power from themselves, they get them from God. And Jude shows this in his letter. The false teachers are there denying that Jesus is Lord and Master, But he explains they're still underneath his authority and his dominion. That through his letter he shows them the outcome of those who turn their backs against God. He has showed him that Christ has dominion and authority over them even by his judgment over them. So why does God deserve all the glory? Because His is the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. The Jude does not stop there. From all eternity, kingdoms will rise and fall. No monarch rules forever. Death is forever at their door. No family even stays in power for all time. They rise to a position of power, and they might soon have it taken away by someone who is stronger, wiser, more deceptive, whatever that might be. However, God has ruled for all eternity. No one has ever taken him from his throne. No one ever will take him from his throne because he is the greatest. The God is eternal. He has no beginning or end. The psalmist again writes, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth of the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We can't comprehend the number of His years. He has no beginning. It was before the foundation of the earth. So God is all-powerful, with all dominion, authority, majesty has been is and will be the glorious truth even as we study this small, somewhat seeming insignificant letter we might have said before studying it, that these truths are timeless, The false teaching will come and go, it will come with looking in, in a different way with different words, We'll see errors repeat themselves. We'll see them disappear. A new type of false teaching will arise, creep into the church unnoticed. And all of this, this truth remains the same. The God, all glory is given to him. Before all time, now and forevermore. God's truth will remain because God remains. The God, the one who was in the beginning and will be in the end for all eternity, has a plan and a purpose to be able to carry it out through His people. Churches may rise and fall. Dominions may crumble. The God's promises to His people and His church will not. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a great, glorious truth as we seek to be able to always contend for the faith that it might seem like things are crumbling and changing and and falling and the church has been overthrown and overruled, that the the gospel has been thrown out the window. That the truth of the gospel that has been handed down, delivered to all the saints is no more insignificant. And people are wandering off following myths, endless genealogies following their itching ears to listen to false teachers, but the glorious truth of Jude is it doesn't matter. Because whose church is it? It's Christ's church. And where is Christ? Christ is ruling supreme over all. We contend, but Christ will defend. Christ will keep His church. He's going to be able to keep us from stumbling. He's going to be able to present us blameless before the Father with great joy. as we finish the Lord's Prayer, we see this glorious doxology, actually nothing new. It's exactly what David said and wrote in the Old Testament, that this faith delivered to all the saints remains the same. The Jew can write about it in the early church, David can write about it in his reign as King Because it speaks of the only one true living God of all. With all of his glory, majesty, dominion, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. David writes in First Chronicles chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. What a glorious thing that should bring us comfort. Even as we see churches slide down. Denominations seeking to be able to turn away from that faith. That God still rules. He is the one who will rule forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, We give you thanks and praise for this short letter written by Jude. Lord, that we find in there the disturbing truths of that false teaching which often seeks to be able to creep into the church. Lord, and we pray that this would not ever be the story of this church. Lord, that we would be faithful soldiers contending for the faith delivered to all the saints. But Lord, we also give you thanks and praise. That in this letter we find the comfort of security found only in your promises, Lord, that it does not matter what happens in this church or the church throughout the whole globe, that you are still king over all. Lord, let us give glory and honor to you and you alone, for yours is the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.